Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. The off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, your host, your purveyor of awesome. So episode 135, um, it has been a few weeks since we've done a show. Unfortunately for y'all, uh, or it's unfortunate for y'all that we had to take a little bit of a break. But as you're about to find out, this fine young gentleman next to myself and I have been prepping for what just happened this past weekend. Um, Steven needed a break. It's always good. Uh, we do this a lot. Um, we have a great time doing it, but I'm not going to lie. After you know weeks and weeks straight, it is stressful. We don't get paid for this. We like to have fun with you guys, but we need a, bit, a little bit of a break. So that's what had to happen. Um, and you'll find out about this past weekend as we get into things. So for those of you who might be turning into seat time for your first time, this is the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. If you find yourself being one of those beer-drinking, bench-racing types, this is definitely the place for you. Kind of the lowbrow um, off-road news show, if you will. Of course, I'm not drinking currently. That's You could go back a couple episodes and find out all about why that's going down. Um, but hey, that's okay. We hope you are. And if you're not or you're not old enough, don't. And if you don't want to, that's okay. You don't have to do that either. We hope you enjoy it. So seat time. You can find us. On the internet. But to be even more specific, we are available uh, on our website, which is seattime.co. We archive all of the shows there. And of course, YouTube. So everything goes through YouTube. It's the easiest way if you just want to subscribe to the channel. It makes our numbers even look better for potential sponsors for 2015. Of course, if you just so happen to enjoy the audio version because of the fact that I'm too ugly, Steven's more beautiful than I am and behind the camera and you never get to see him, whatever your real reason is that you don't want to watch but just want to listen, the audio version is available on Stitcher or iTunes. Um, Stitcher's an app that you can get um, for any smartphone and of course iTunes is typically iDevices. So in that way, just search for Seat Time, two words, and you can come up with this as a podcast and it's that much more fun. Seat Time is brought to you by some of the fine folks over at Fly Racing. They make gear that's going to make you just look awesome, ride awesome, be awesome. Of course, Stillwell Performance, um, KR4 with their Arrive and Ride program, which Steven and I got to take part in a little bit earlier this year. We went to Big Buck um, and the guys over at Fast Company. So if you want to get your flex bar on, those are the guys you're going to want to do it with. And they also make quite a few other fine products. House cleaning wise, I really think that's it. Of course, we we've thanked you guys for all the support that you've given us. So in that, I say let's inv- let's let's say hello to the fine young gentleman that is sitting next to me. So for those of you who do not know, this is Papa Pierce. You may have heard um, of the mystical giant of my father, uh, but this is him. This is the guy that at one point in his time had a pro card, made it to maybe one or two mains uh, in your professional career. Two. 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 Look at that. Yeah, better than me because I don't have a pro card. Um, Yeah, and so we just got back from... Nevada. You literally just got back. I uh, mean, you've been back ago. for four hours? Yeah, about an hour ago, hour and a half, I got out of the shower and came over here to meet all your seat time people. Yeah. Um, so the, as, as we were saying, I really wanted to have my dad on because it is very fresh in our minds a lot what we went through. It, he had typically the adventures that Stephen and I go through or that my wife and I find ourselves in when we travel – uh, it gets really interesting. We meet crazy people and things happen to us. I would say my parents, it's typically a little bit more standard. Not too much craziness goes on. This time around, 
things got a little nuts for my dad. So for those of you who don't know, I, of course, have a full-time job, I, I, or the 8 to 5, 9 to 5 type of stuff. And, and my dad, being the father that he is, he doesn't want me to take off too much extra time if I don't need to for things that might seem just a little erroneous or extra to some people. So for this, when we were going to Nevada to go do some rally training, he was like, I'm going to drive the bikes out, and, and you'll fly. Okay, cool. We figured that out. But what time did you actually leave to drive out there? I wound up leaving at uh, 11 p.m. on a Thursday night, and I had to pick Brian up at 4.30 at the airport in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You made it. I made, Well, I was an hour too late, but the whole thing straight through driving was uh, 1,245 miles. That's it. Straight through. <laughs> Took me two and a half days to come back. <laughs> I think you deserved. I can't believe deserved. I did it, but I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> when you've got a deadline and you have something you have to do, you have to do it. I mean, we here, uh, we've had Jordan Bailey uh, and, and Jordan. Uh, you know, she's been on a couple times, and her and her boy or husband now, they've driven through the night to multiple GNCCs. We talk to racers all the time, and they're like, "Yeah, we just got home an hour ago." And I always am like, "How do they do it?" And I've only had to do it once or one or two times, and I hated it. Hate it. So I don't look forward to it. So I have to know when it was 11 p.m. and you're like, I'm leaving. What were you really thinking? Were you actually thinking that you were going to pull it off? Yeah, there was no doubt in my mind. That's awesome. Because I had done something similar. I would have cried myself to sleep in that chair. That <laughs> last September time. for the uh, KTM rally for the adventure bikes, uh, I wound up doing the same thing. Uh, going from here to Steamboat Springs with an uninterrupted other than weather. That was the weekend the boulder basically flooded out. Oh, yes. And I had to go way down south to get around. So I know I can do it, and I've done it twice in the last year. But, boy, when you turn around and come the other way, you're thinking, how did I do that? Yes. I would agree. That was we. Uh, what was it? Uh, Tiffany, James, and I left. We left at around 11, maybe 11 or midnight when we drove to Vegas and drove and drove straight through. We drove, it was And it was an hour from Amarillo is when the bearings on the trailer shit the bed. And so we were like, well, do we wait around a couple hours in the middle of nowhere outside of Amarillo, or do we figure it out and just drive it slowly into Amarillo, and hopefully by then someplace can fix it? And, of course, we went to U-Haul, figured it out, got to Vegas. The drive home sucked because, you know, two of the three people in the car were extremely hungover, if not still drunk. Uh, it, was a, it was a long, interesting drive home. Audio books. You got a long drive? Audio books. Yeah, that's, that's that, that and energy it. drinks. And, and, you know, cat naps. And? Yep, took two half-hour cat naps on the way up. So let's explain a little bit to everybody what this is. Oh, they, they drove the Nevada. If somebody hasn't seen the pictures that we've been posting, what's happening is I am competing later this year in the Baja Rally. We've had Scotty Broman on, the, uh, the facilitator of this rally, last year when he first put it on, and then, of course, this year when he said, hey, we're going to do it again. Um, so I got signed up. I said, this is awesome, a whole new avenue of – dirt bike racing that i didn't really know about that i want to learn it's like this is this so much of a sounds awesome like i want to get involved in this so but i don't want to just go to the baja rally and think oh i'll figure it out on the first day you yeah. know that too much money involved buying all this stuff with all the traveling to go in totally blind so i've been in touch with dave uh, peckham from rally management services uh, you can get in touch with him just search for rally management services if you're interested and he was like, come out to one of our schools. You'll have a great time. You'll learn all about it. It never lined up. Never, ever, ever. Every time he had a school, we had already had some family thing planned, just couldn't get out of it. Like a new so baby? We, 
like a new baby or like you we know moved. like a, like <laughs> you guys moving or maybe even then your 40th wedding anniversary so lots of, lots of lots of stuff just going on that's the way it gets and he was one of the, hey I'm going to have some of my team guys come out here and do some testing he's like I know you've been really interested in coming out and doing this so can you guys make it out for this and you know and, and test with us he's like we're not going to be able to be hands on but I can at least give you a lot of advice and, and get you going. Okay, cool. Dad, should we do it? We did it. And so we did it. I flew out there. We took a 2005 KTM 450 EXC. We got a 6.6, a Cherby's gallon tank on it. We have the Rally Management Services Universal Kit. Yep. Um, and with the ICO. Yeah. And other than that, though, uh, that's kind of how the bike went out there, right? I mean, we did a little thing, clean the air filter, change the oil. I mean, all the normal stuff. We have got a whole slew of stuff that we're getting ready to do to the bike because we found – we learned all the things we didn't want to learn that first day doing the Baja Rally this weekend, which is exactly why we went. Um, but they, I have to ha- – But they were all little things. You know, there were some – as you'd expect, there were little things that we got out there and, and wound up with flats from rocks and – Wound up with a, a a leak in the uh, counter sprocket seal, little things like that that didn't stop us from didn't stop him from riding, didn't stop him from practicing. Um, all of the key elements worked fine, and Brian did okay. Yeah, that's that was actually going to be my question: is being one my father, two my mechanic, three my driver, uh, on this whole adventure. What did you take away from this weekend? I was kind of in awe of the entire format. You know, I'm an avid race watcher on TV. You know, I record all the Formula Ones and all the IndyCar, and I also record all the rally car races from Europe and the United States. And so I'm quite familiar with watching these guys with their with their road book on their dashboard. With the rally format. It's a rally format. This is where it came from. And but the difference is, they've got two guys. One guy's reading the map. And the other guy's driving the car. Well, before I moved here from Arkansas, we had these things called national forests with lots of trees and hills, something we don't have in North Texas. But I actually set up a couple of practice, just to learn what it was like, I set up a couple of practice rally events using uh, a tool that's available online, and I, I ran them on my 990. And the thing that was amazing was that you're watching your odometer, you're watching your GPS. You're watching your road book. And then every once in a while, you got to look at the trail so you don't <laughs> hit something and, you know, crash your brains out. And I had a conversation with Dave about that. And he said that was one of the reasons that they only wanted experts at the Baja Rally is this really is not a beginner sport because you are your attention is diverted mm-hmm. so often in dealing with the environment. And the 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 computerization and all of the other things besides turning the throttle. Yep. You know, you win by turning the throttle, but it's more than just going fast. It's kind of like the old enduros. Yeah. I I the way I always said it. Now that I've I always said it. The way that I've said it. Once I really got out there and done it, it is, it is an old timekeeper format on steroids. Like it is the whole next level up. From knowing how to ride a timekeeper enduro and riding possibles and things yeah. like that. Like, but remember, there's no arrows. Yeah, that's why it's like there's believe no me, arrows. it's much more tough than it looks. And uh, where where I got, well, go ahead. I know you were probably no, some more got, thoughts. When when the uh, when the rider has to ride the event, 
they have the equivalent of the old roll chart, but it's, you know, four by ten just about. <laughs> and it tells them computer headings or compass headings that they need to go at a certain thing that happens in the road. And there's sometimes there's a little picture of, of the event at where they're supposed to make a turn or go straight or jump over a ledge or something silly like that. But there are no Is arrows. Uh, well, it, it, it comes, you know, remember a lot of this rallying for motorcycles at least started with the Paris-Dakar rally. And so a lot, you know, French is the language of rallying. So you don't have transfer sections, you have liaison sections. You don't have events, you have tulips, because the road crossings kind of look like little flowers. But hey, you know, those of us who learn to ride enduros, you know, I mean, things like checkpoints and 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 secret checks and observation checks and the only thing that wasn't ancient Greek to us was probably start and gas stop. Everything else we didn't have a clue what it was. So hey, we ought to be able to do French pretty easily. But but the whole key is you've got to understand where you are in the world on your map, and these these loops can be 120 miles. So we're not talking a six or seven mile test section here. Yeah. We're talking 100 miles plus. And if you get lost, you get lost. And then, you know, you've got your little friends here to kind of, where am I in the world? You know, your GPS tells you where you are and tells you your headings. Uh, and then there's this little guy that I didn't know about until Brian started talking about rallying. And it's a little guy called Spot. And boy, I can think of a few friends of mine that really could have used this, Mr. McEnroth, several years ago. <laughs> Don't get um, lost. Have a spot. Well, yeah. <laughs> don't have your friends. Think what you're what lost. this little guy does is he's connected to the satellites, of course, but he emits tracking signals that can be tracked on your computer. So you know where you, somebody knows where you are all the time. And then if you do go over the deep end, you got a little button here that's SOS. And it brings in emergency rescue. And that was fifteen dollars extra a month. Is yeah, that about fifteen a month extra. So there's some obviously there's some stuff into it, but with the spot, the way I, we look at the spot is the same thing as having uh, the helicopter service. It's like forty nine bucks a year or whatever to have that service. Yep. Well, that forty nine forty nine bucks a year is way better than fifty thousand dollars. You know, wind up having to get heloed out of some race or something like that. So in these events where you know you're going to be out in the middle of nowhere and obviously you're trying to navigate so you could easily get lost, it's good to have. Yeah. The spot, you don't like navigate that. with the spot, though. Right. This is that the, is purely for in case your shit needs to get pulled out of some place. This is your security blanket yeah. if you're Linus. If my dad's like, I don't think Brian's doing that good. Where is he at? He can pull up the GPS and follow my spot and be like, son of a bitch is actually on course. Look at that guy. Or, wait, he's back in. The camp, and I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> Where? He's at the bar. What the hell? He didn't even come get me, that son of a bitch. Well, uh, I would say that I learned hey, a lot. Son of a weekend. bitch. What does that make me? You had <laughs> sex with my mom. So. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah, exactly. We, we, again, as we like to say, that's, the, that's our show on the other night, where we talk about all kinds of other stuff, and it gets even much more weird. A couple things I took away from this weekend for those of you who even think, oh, dude, this is kind of cool. What is this? I want to at least learn more. Biggest thing that helped me is that Dave Peckham, and it's kind of one of those things I was like, when he said it, I was like, no, duh. But then all of a sudden, oh, the light bulb. When he was like, we've got to remember, in a rally, they're not trying to trick you. Right. And that was the biggest thing. I was like, the oh, 
for me because I was like, you know what? He's right. Like they want us to get from point A to point B. They're, they're giving us all the information we need to make sure it happens. And they're trying. They're not trying to hide a trail. They're not trying to, you know, say you should go left, but you want to go right. Like they they want you to go the correct direction. So as long as you remember that when you think when you figure out all your information between your road book and your odometer and then even if you have to get into the to figuring out the heading trust it because your instincts are probably going to be right and that's that's what i found out the, the times when i made major mistakes which luckily i didn't make that 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 many were when i just didn't trust my gut where i was like this says it should be right here on the left and I'm not seeing something like either right here or it doesn't seem to be wide enough to what matching the tulip and things like that and I would go past the point where I needed to turn left right or maybe even go straight and not go left or right um and those that was that was what really really helped me out a lot um luckily enough all the training I've been doing I felt great uh, my fitness is right on right on target for this I did have a lot of problems um, at some of the cross country races, but I'm okay with that because that was just testing my fitness for going into this rally type. And I know that this is much more endurance and a lot less sprint for two hours kind of a thing. This will be five and six, if not longer, uh, hours throughout the day. But um, and they're usually in places like the desert where it's easy to put in a 120 mile loop. Yeah. You know the the Dakar down in South America. This Baja is going to be in September will be in the desert. The training we did was in the uh, desert west of Las Vegas. Um, so it's pretty well, you know, you, you've got to be in shape and you've got to be able to handle the heat. And I got to say, I was kind of proud of you. You know, he'd come rolling in after a 40, 50 mile loop and I'm, I'm hanging out at the van, kind of wiped out from just hanging out at the van. And he comes in fresh as a tulip, I guess, not a daisy, but a tulip. <laughs> Uh, and I was really kind of proud of him. And, uh, you know, the other guys that were riding, Ian and Scott, these guys were amazing. I mean, they, they were just always ready to go. And Brian was too. So that, the conditioning is, is a major factor. I think even more so than for, uh, a shorter event. Yeah. It's, uh, but I felt good. I've been doing a lot of the, uh, the Camp Gladiator boot camps. And I think that that has been great. Uh, and I've told them kind of specifically what I'm doing. So we've been kind of tweaking their workouts when I get there just a little um, to kind of help me out. So look for the video that we're going to post after the fact because it will have a lot of what I've been going through because we've been documenting that this whole time. So it will be pretty cool. Well, um, before we're going we're gonna to get Ian Blythe on because he was out there testing. Um, before we do that, I wanted to, to say Fly Racing's Pipe Full of Awesome Award is back. So – Dad has no idea what this is. I can already see it on his face. So do you know what a hashtag is? One more time. Do you know what a hashtag is? Hashtag? Yeah. Absolutely. What is it? That's what you put in a uh, tweet. Oh! That's that's not wrong. That's not wrong. Uh, it did start with Twitter and then moved over uh, into Instagram, and it's so that if somebody's like, oh, pretty sunset, they hashtag it pretty sunset, and then you could – Type on that, and you just see a bunch of pictures or posts, if it's tweets, um, that people have hashtagged Pretty Sunset. In this case, Pipe Full of Awesome is what you want to use as the hashtag to win this award. Um, we're kind of getting warmed up, if you will. And if we start seeing a lot of action with this, Fly Racing has already said they will give away a brand new set of 2015 riding gear. So, every weekend, the way this is going to work 
the way I'm going to do this is between 9 a.m. on Friday morning and Sunday at midnight. That's when I'm going to go back and look at pictures that are tagged on Instagram with a pint full of awesome. It has changed. It's going to be only Instagram from now on that I'll check um, because we want to see your weekend. And the pictures, it cannot be retagged. It has to be posted within that time. It has to be a new post within that time. So we want to know how awesome your weekend was to hashtag it with Pineful of Awesome. Of course, if you want to get fancy, you can tag Seat Time and, of course, Fly Racing for being so fantastic and supporting us at this. But this week, we have, let's see, the, the, the awards this week are the Camo T and the Hybrid Short. Um, and reading about this hybrid short, I was actually kind of excited. It's kind of like board shorts and regular shorts together. Um, so you, it's they're, they call them hybrid shorts because it's kind of like wear them around the docks, but then you could also wear them in the lakes. Like They're not total just uh, board short material. So I think it's kind of cool. But the winner for this one is, I don't even, I'm not going to, I don't think it's a real name. It's just obviously an Instagram handle. It's at F-O-S-F-O-R-O underscore G-G. I don't know. It's craziness. But I think, Stephen, do you have the picture? So there's the picture. Of course, this is, is I thought this was really wicked. Like I've talked about before, I'm a big downhill guy. I've been racing mountain bikes for a really long time, and I just really like this picture. I thought it was it, it expressed a lot of what we want to see uh, when people are out there having a good time and enjoying a pint full of awesome. Dude's just ripping it down some downhill trail in Mexico. Um, so we're going to tag him tomorrow and be like, yo. You won the Pineful of Awesome Award, and Fly Racing is going to send him a camo tee and some hybrid shorts. So if you had taken a picture or you had planned to take a picture for this award, what do you think would have been from this weekend? Or maybe it was a picture you've taken. Um, probably somebody taking a picture of me on the 990 doing a uh, less than graceful crash on a hill climb. Uh that's when we need helmet cams on the old men. Oh, yeah. That was embarrassing. At best, it was embarrassing. Well, everybody's got to realize. It's a good picture. Yeah, everybody's got to realize that it's uh, it's been a while since you've been riding. You've had a lot of knee surgeries and stuff like that. You've been moving into Texas for the past however many months now. I wouldn't even say you've, you're totally moved in. You've just got boxes moved off to a couple rooms. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on. But that would have made that would have made an awesome picture. It would have. All right. Well, now we know what he would have done. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a picture of Mr. Ian Blythe's hair and post that for my Pineful of Awesome Award because that dude's hair is kicking. Mr. Ian Blythe, what is going on? What's up? How's it going? Oh, great, man. So we're we're a little bit later than I told you we would be into the show, but that's okay. We're just chatting about the weekend. So, dude, do you guys got home safe and everything from the from the weekend? Yeah, we like hammered down and got home at like noon. I was uh, I was pounding the little energy goos all the way home on the drive. Nice. You said noon. Like, did you guys drive home on Monday or Sunday? Uh, we got home Monday more or Monday around noon. Okay. So I see what you're saying now. I see what I see what you yeah. did there. Nice. Well, um, we're gonna clear something up right now. Because yesterday I was like, hey, Ian, what bone did you break again? Because I want to make sure I get it right in the press release. And you told me, what did you tell me? Uh, I told you scaphoid, you... which is apparently a wrist bone. That is not um, the shoulder issue that was, you had at uh, all, is it? It was uh, the glenoid. The glenoid. glenoid which some is part of the glenoid. Which that's is like the shoulder socket, in fact, right? a shoulder bone. So not the wrist at all. Yeah. 
So no, nope, not I would the rest just, at all. So. Yeah, it's like I did my best as a media person to get the correct information. Um, it's just unfortunately sometimes you can't even trust your sources. <laughs> I I mixed up my oids. <laughs> just just don't do that on a Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? You might wind up with an extra oid or two. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, dude. Um. So let's do this. Ian Blythe, you have not been on the show in a while. You were supposed to be racing the GNCCs this year under the KR4 banner um, and taking on the National Enduros. That didn't happen. So kind of talk us through when you got hurt in February and then kind of how your recovery's been and then how you moved into some of this rally stuff. So, you know, I got done with the GNCC season last year, and I was just pumped about GNCCs and National Enduros. And, you know, the season last year wrapped up pretty well i had some some good races and i was stoked i uh came home and kind of i had a really good off season i practiced a lot wrote a lot of sand tracks and uh it was like one of the last days before i was going to head down to uh head down to florida start getting ready for the gncc i broke my i was just riding all day out of the sand track and just crashed went over the bars and uh um when I went over the bars, the humerus bone hit the, the uh, glenoid and broke off a piece and uh, messed everything up in my shoulder. So I ended up having surgery just like a week before the first GNCC. And, uh, you know, sh- shoulder surgery is kind of like a like a four, four to six months sort of deal. So we're right at five months now. So getting back into it, um, it was cool that the whole rally opportunity hit me just like a few weeks after i got hurt um it was like man i'm i don't know what to do now like i'm gonna miss most of the season and I'm, i was really disappointed but uh i met dave peckham with rms and uh he's friends with ned cease and scott bright who uh ned has also done dakar and the, he kind of suggested that maybe i since i this season's kind of toast maybe i consider doing some rally and I thought it was a cool idea. You know, I've been, uh, um, pushing really hard and trying to make, you know, a lot of different things happen. GNCCs and national enduros and world enduros and ISDE and this rally thing just kind of fell in my lap. And I was like, man, I'd be an idiot not to jump at this opportunity. So, uh, super pumped to work with, with RMS and, and ICO. Those guys, um, are pretty awesome and they got their stuff together. So, um, you know, there's just kind of like the future's wide open. I'm pumped to uh, to kind of make a little bit of a transition. Yeah. So the bike that you were riding this past weekend, when you were prepping it for rally and kind of starting to get, you know, a, let's say build a rally bike, what are some of the biggest things that kind of shocked you about the way that you prepped this bike or the way that you kind of set it up for rally? Um, and don't just tell us you don't you know because your dad did all the work. It's just a massive. That's right. <laughs> no, it uh, it's just a massive gas tank. That's like the hardest thing to get used to. You got five gallons of gas on the front of your bike. Um, but it's it's cool. It's fun navigating, and it was something that was totally new to me. And I I spent my first day like just completely lost in the desert, like nothing nothing nearby no no chance and it's a whole new challenge and the navigating was a lot different than i thought you know you've got a road book and you've got your your odometer and you've got your compass and that's it you know i grew up racing following ruts and following arrows so 
Um, I was pretty surprised to learn. I mean, it doesn't matter how fast you are. If you're lost in the desert, you're not winning. So <laughs> it's not so, yep. I mean, it's still riding dirt bikes, but rally is, is a lot different than, than what I thought it would be. And it's kind of cool. It's a, it's a new challenge. It's, it's pretty fun enjoying it. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, before I tell you about how much I've enjoyed it, I wanted you to go ahead and repeat for our viewers what you said to me right before we left. Do you remember? It was when I, we were talking about the courses that uh, you guys had just done. Um, about how you were following my no, tracks. Yeah. My tracks looked like they were in the Oh, way. yeah. Uh, oh, what was it? Yeah, you did way better than I did, like. Dave should probably hire you to be the next well, I don't RMS think racer. You, didn't, you didn't say all that because you, that's not true. But <laughs> at least the fact no, is, you, it was interesting, man. It's really weird. Track, man. You did way better than I did on my first day. Well, I appreciate that. It was uh, It's really interesting, but I took to heart what he said about the – about the fact it's like it's exactly to the point you just said you can't even if you're going super fast you can't win if you're lost in the desert like i was like okay i gotta remember that this is desert riding you want to like open her up and have a lot of fun but if your next little tulip if you will on the road book is only you know half a kilometer away and it looks really open don't give her because you're going to be at that half kilometer way before you think you are uh so it was kind of interesting yeah and kilometers are not as long as I wish as I would listen yeah. to my own advice because on uh, on Saturday, the last loop, we got to a uh, an off-track section, and I just, like, hammered down and went and got freaking lost in the desert again, <laughs> doing circles out there. And I uh, found my way back to the track because I saw, like, Scott's dust cloud, like, a half a mile away of him passing me. So <laughs> I haven't got it yet, but... Uh, Slow learning curve, right? right? I guess that's an interesting point about what you just talked about. So, there are times in these road books, and I came across a couple in my own. So, they were off doing a little bit more longer and more tough road books. The routes that they were following, I was kind of following your typical kind of intermediate uh, type of routes, um, which they then did the next day. But in a couple of these that I did, they actually had these sections where you literally just – it just says you come to a point in a certain mileage or certain kilometer, and it says follow this cap heading. And it gives you a heading to follow off of your GPS. And for a mile, I had to just go at 126, which is the heading. For, and I'm like, this thing's bouncing like crazy. I mean, it's there's no way to keep it still. So I was like, what the hell do you do? Like, how do you – yeah, so you just, just kind of like – pick something out there and ride towards it at that heading. I kind of stopped again. I checked it again, like, and then just made it and literally like got to that end of that mile and bam, like there was the trail and picked it right back up. I was like, holy shit, I did it. It's, it was the scariest thing though. Cause you're, it feels like you're riding with your eyes closed. Like you don't have a clue where you're going. I don't know. What yeah. about you? Did you see so yeah, the cap heading for you was, uh, was pretty tough. I just get so stoked to be off the road that I'm just like, I don't even, I like look at my cap heading once and I'm like, yep, I got it. And then I like pin it and then I never get to where I was supposed to be. <laughs> so <laughs> it can go wrong super easily. So you set a much better example than I did. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, finally I get to rip through the bushes. And then, yeah, I'm like, oh, 
I was supposed to hit a road in one kilometer, and I've gone four, so maybe I, <laughs> I did that wrong. Having too much fun. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. So yeah. now that you guys, have, you and Scott, have, have spent a lot of time doing this, um, you know, really kind of like getting your feet wet, how, how do you guys feel? You know, how do you feel in particular? How do you think Scott's doing and maybe vice versa? Uh, I just hope I can beat Scott. I mean, I'll feel I'll feel way better if I can beat Scott at the end of this. <laughs> uh, he's know. like he's got twenty years on you, man. He's got like twenty years on you, yeah. so maybe yeah, he might have you with experience. He's been out navigating. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little worried. I, Scott, and I had like battles when I was like 16 at the local Enduros, and now like. We're having battles again, and it's it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> but uh, I feel good, you know. It's like I've, I came a long way in the two times I've navigated, and uh, I mean the riding skills are are there more or less, I think. But um, I'm nervous for sure about navigating, especially uh, with the um, the races coming up. I'm going to Australia for the Australasian Safari in uh, September, and I'm pretty freaking nervous nervous about that. Just like getting set loose on my first rally ever and it's like a pretty big rally in a different country um in the southern hemisphere too so that kind of throws another curveball in there so i'm i'm nervous but just excited i haven't had such a new challenge thrown at me in a long time so i'm just really stoked and pumped cool that's the way i feel about this whole adventure um i have the the one thing that i that i that kind of is I don't want to use the word sucks, but it's uncool about rally is that it's such a big buy-in. There's no, like, buy, we all know that buying a motorcycle is not cheap. And then, unfortunately, there's just, there is a lot of equipment that comes into this because this sport is about navigating. So you do need all the navigation equipment. And then, of course, you do need a larger gas tank or at least a way to carry more gas because you're out there for longer times than you would be between, you know, 40, 50 miles like a typical gas stop. Um but besides that, like really knowing and understanding that aspect of it, the other parts are so cool because to me it's just a whole new experience of uh, of dirt biking. You know, I've been doing this since I was five, racing since I was twelve, kind of mm-hmm. in that enduro world, and then kind of learning a little bit more about hair scrambles. Finally made it to some GNCCs, and now I'm getting a chance to do this rally stuff. Like for those of the for those that are in my position I feel like maybe like an intermediate to expert rider and love dirt bike racing go try all this other racing cuz this stuff is cool like it's fun and then we got to do all the cool um all the bench racing at night and stuff while we were working on our road books and bitching about having to tape them together and uh stuff like making fun of uh Dave for his electric car oops <laughs> yeah Yep. All right. There's, uh, there's a lot of that. Yeah, Don't mention is. Dave's electric car. He's very touched. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Already happened twice. Um, so, ISDE, <laughs> you, you've gone quite a few times. I wanted to know if you saw that they officially announced um, the trophy team, the junior trophy team, and all the club teams today. I did see that, yeah. Um, Any thoughts? I mean, it's just point I want to... I want to race ISDE, and that's like one of my my passions, I guess. And plus, this would be my last year eligible for the junior team. But honestly, I can't like 
I can't blame the people making decisions because they got to make a decision based on who's doing good this season. And if they were like, they were to say, hey, let's take Ian, and then I did really bad, they'd be like, everybody else would look at it and be, well, why did they choose Ian? He hasn't even raced all year. So I, I can totally understand where they're coming from, but I mean, it's a huge disappointment. I would love to go down to Argentina and race my last year uh, in the junior class, get on the junior trophy team again after uh, after doing pretty well last year. So yeah, it's disappointing, but uh, the team looks awesome. They're going to they're gonna kick ass down there. I'm, I'm pumped to see how they do. Cool. Um, one of the things I think I was most excited about was that I saw Gary Sutherland was on the Weller team, uh, the kind of the, the, the semi-pro club team, if you will. Uh, I'm super excited that he got, that he got asked oh, yeah. to be on that team. That's so cool. He's been just busting his balls. Doing really good this year. Uh, works enduro cross uh, the Western Hair Scrambles, um, and so I'm glad that it's really paying off for him. How do you think oh, yeah. he's going to do out there? Down there too. You think so? Uh, he's gonna he's gonna kick ass. Yeah, it's like the biggest thing is that it's pretty consistent when it's when it's like a muddy wet race. East Coast guys do well, and when it's a, a desert style race like Argentina is going to be, the West Coast guys just do really well. So I would. Uh, I bet on Gary doing real well and Travis Coy doing real well. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody's everybody's fast. Everybody's going to do well, but the the Western guys I think will really stand out in the uh, in the desert in Argentina, especially Taylor. Taylor, I, I'm I'm hoping for him to get you know top top five, top three overall. Really? I mean, I oh, know yeah. I, I know that Taylor Robert has always been a very good. American, if you will, at the ISDE, the, pet, the the two times he's gone, he's done really well. He's even been top American. Um, but this could be like I, I kind of now that you say that, I could kind of agree because this could totally be his deal because of the fact that it's that southern kind of West Coast thing, that kind of that that type of racing. I mean, that's what I would expect. Is, is it going to be a lot like Chile was? You know, I didn't go to Chile, um, but I I don't know. Uh, it's going to be dry and dusty and whooped out and rocky, which sounds a lot like, you know, the Phoenix area and which is where Gary and, uh, and Taylor are kind of from. So I would, uh, I'd bet those guys would be real well. So what we need to do is get all the ISDE guys down to, to their house. Um, I guess I just invited them over, but Hey, whatever. I'm sure I'll text Taylor and tell him that everybody's going to show up, <laughs> but, um, that's what they need to do. They need to go down there and have like an ISDE training camp. Um, and Taylor could teach him how to do backflips yeah. on his trials bike and uh, all that other kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so Frank Keegan actually sent me sent in a couple questions, and one of them was, did you cut your hair? Obviously, I would assume that this is not cut. I, don't, I mean, I don't really know the answer to the question. Oh, no way, man. I'm going for the... Uh... Full creeper, creeper, long haired helmet dreads stuff. The homeless, homeless dirt bike rider. As my uh, as my daughter says, homeless chic. That's her. That's her go to breakfast on yeah. Sunday morning. Look, she's like, she's like, it, she put the clothes on that look more ragged than her PJs were, and doesn't brush her hair, and like it's. And like it's so funny because she's typically so put together, like her outfits. But sometimes when we go to breakfast, she just like, and I—that's what we call it. We call it her homeless chic look. So, you and Kaylin may have a lot in common with that. 
it'd be interesting. Um, and then, of yeah. course, he wanted to know, when are you going to be back under the KR4 rig? So kind of tell us about that, because that was where you're gonna, your home was going to be for the GNCCs, but you did tell us that the plan is for you to do a couple more uh, once the season picks back up. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm uh, working on it. That's the cool thing about this rally program is that it's not – such a time constraint that I, I won't be able to, to race. Like I'll totally be able to race uh, lots of races at home and do GNCCs and National Enduros and uh, whatever happens. My first like national back is going to be the one in Colorado, first National Enduro, Colorado, uh, August 10th. So yep. I set that one as a goal a long time ago, uh, just after my surgery, to come back for that one. So uh, pumped for that, and then I'll come back for the Unibilla GNCC. So um, hmm. hoping to come back uh, – couple weeks early and hang out and ride some uh ride some mud and woods and that sort of thing in uh, in pennsylvania at the shop there and see what i can do awesome yeah we were really hoping to be able to make the the colorado national enduro but august 10th is my son's uh birthday that's his birthday and so my wife is very particular for some reason about birthday parties being on the day of the birthday amazing how that happens but What's doesn't okay? So he's two. He's only had one birthday, and this one's on Sunday. So last year was on Saturday. Is she gonna lose her shit next year when it happens to be on a Monday? And she's got no control over that. <laughs> you tell him. I mean, yes, dear. No, this is <laughs> yes, why dear. can't we have, dude? <laughs> Ian, if I brought my son to a race for his birthday he's two years old the day before on that saturday do you not think i could get a bunch of the pros to come over and sing happy birthday to him right you'd do it Um, even if you're homeless chic i I can't speak for everybody else i would would sing for your child see how cool would that be shit like that could happen but we have to go to the race on his birthday weekend for it to happen i don't know it's just that's my own it's my own inner dilemma my own air Colorado's beautiful that time of year. I know. Damn it. That race will be so Is awesome. that near Buena Vista? It's uh, Golden, right? No. What what city is that one near? In Colorado. What the national? Yeah. Yo. Uh it's it's up outside of Grand Junction. Grand Junction. So it's I was like thinking. 30 Golden, miles yeah. or 30 minutes from Grand Junction. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's going to be yeah. wicked, man. That's going to be wicked so, for sure. Western Just so long as they don't get rain like they did in September last year. Oh, the, uh, well, I'm hoping they do get ran. That race is going to be sketchy, super sketchy. Without uh, if it's dusty, I want to be is very it, sketchy. Is it on the? Is it kind of like a lot of goat trails where it's right on the side of the hill, mountain? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of like shelf trails and super like silty dirt when it's dry and somewhat fast. Um, but yeah, I mean. A lot of tall grass too, so like I, I'm kind of scared of the race, like racing there all out. But uh, it's beautiful, no doubt about that. But uh, it's kind of certainly different than what uh, what people are used to seeing in National Enduros. Right. And you know what hides out in that tall grass is those things called rocks. Yeah. They like to hide out in tall grass. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, yeah, uh, do. good luck. Have fun with that. Obviously, keep up the rally stuff. Keep us, uh, keep us very well up to date on how it goes. Uh, I know you now know that I'm, I'm super enthused on it, but uh, I, I think it's going to be fun. I, I would definitely want to get y'all's thoughts um, as time gets closer and you guys do more um, to help me as well with some of the filming that I'm going to be doing at the Baja Rally um, just to help tell the story a little bit better. So I think that'll be really cool, too. 
Yeah, and even though you don't get to do the ISDE, right, you don't get to go to Argentina for the ISDE. You'll get to go to that region for the uh, Dakar when you ride yeah, the Dakar that was next kind of year. Yeah, my thoughts right at first. I'm like, all right, at least I get to go to South America at some point. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm stoked. Wicked. Oh, and uh, by the way, the Keegans are in uh, the chat room, and they said hi. Oh, nice. All right. And they definitely up, say guys? that you didn't cut your hair. Nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> short short hair is overrated. Yep. Short hair is overrated. I can't even tell you how many times my, my dad and I get asked about our mustaches. Whatever. <laughs> people people and their rules. It's pretty sad when your son has a better mustache than you do, though. It's just a little bit you of know? wax and some awesomeness, and you could be right there. Yeah. But I enjoyed I enjoyed talking with you this weekend, and I had one other question, and I, I asked you about it, but I, if you could share with everybody else, you and Scott were wearing jackets in the desert, and I know you know you were saying it was wonderful as you elbowed through cactus, but as far as as heat you know heat preservation or moisture preservation or whatnot, could you explain again why you you felt that those jackets were an advantage? So it's super counterintuitive. Um, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm in the desert. It's super hot. I want to wear as little clothes as possible. And that seems like it would be right. The issue is that you're out there for 12 hours, and the air is hotter than your body temperature. So when you're ripping down the road at 60 miles an hour, it you got 100-degree air hitting you. That air is not really cooling you off. So... If there's, you got to keep the air off of you because it's just it's evaporating your sweat so fast that it's not cooling you off. So the idea with the jacket is it keeps that hot air off of your skin, and then it just vents through a few specific places. So you get some air like running up your sleeves and like kind of across your sides where sweat is accumulating and it's actually wet, and then that air where it hits you in those spots feels cool and actually cools you down. Whereas when you're just wearing a jersey, you're just ripping all day, and you never feel like you're sweating, but you are because you're hot, but the sweat's evaporating so fast that you're not wet and you're not really getting cooled off. So it's uh, I was kind of skeptical about wearing a jacket, but after this past weekend, I'm totally a believer. Like it was it was so nice. Like I was I was hot and dehydrated by the end, but I wasn't like completely heat stroked and and exhausted. So. Um, I mean, everybody racing to cars wearing a jacket. So, I mean, there's there's something to it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's interesting. And then you had told me about the fact before you started wearing the jacket where you can just feel that hot air hit you and you can just feel it warming you up. And I've completely experienced that because I didn't have a jacket um, to wear out there while riding around. And it's, I mean, it's it's a strange, strange sensation. I'd never never really ridden in a lot of deserts, to be honest. So it was it was weird. But well, cool, man. Yeah. We appreciate you yeah. coming on the show and taking the time. Glad that you're healthy. Glad that you've kind of found a new interest to kind of keep you motivated. And as well, glad that you're going to be, you know, doing a lot more racing, not just uh, out riding dirt bikes. It's going to be cool to see you there and uh, hopefully mixing it up yeah. in the front. Yeah, I'm pumped too. Really uh, excited to get back at it, man. Cool. See everybody at the at the races. Get back to it. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, man. You have a good one, and we'll talk with you soon. All right. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Yes. <laughs>
Awesome. Yeah, Ian's a really, really cool dude, and it's funny. We, we were joking about his hair, but it's just like when people joke about my mustache or anything else. It's just kind of like, you know, he doesn't care. He likes his hair, and he's okay with it. And so he's, he's that's why it's fun to joke with him about it, but it's okay. He's cool. He's cool. He's a good guy. Um, what's interesting, too, about watching them is because it's the desert and you don't have a lot of trees in the way, when they uh, – when they're on the course and they're somewhat near where we were bivouacked, you could see these dust trails <laughs> out at, out against the desert, and you could see them for miles. You know, I was watching Brian and his dust trails, was watching uh, Ian and Scott, and, and you just follow them. You can just see where they are and just follow them around, and then one gets ahead of the other, and then one gets ahead of the other. And then all of a sudden, you see this humongous dust cloud, and you go, whoop, somebody missed the turn. <laughs> and, you know, the... They grab the binders and have to turn around and come back. And it, it was just a totally different experience, you know, from the tight woods that I grew up in in the south. Uh, you can't see past five pine trees, but it yeah. was amazing to watch you guys ride. Yeah, those guys are good. Those guys are good. It, it was it was cool to be able to spend that time with them. Um, so if you guys are talking about doing any kind of racing, riding your dirt bike, having fun out there, you definitely want to make sure that you're set up properly. One of the good ways to do that is to make sure that your suspension is dialed. And, of course, the guys over at Stillwell Performance will, are willing and able to help you up with that. Um, so you can uh, get in touch with them. They're going to be able to cover all your dampening duties for racers, off-road racers, especially guys like Cody Webb, Corey Grafunder, Kyle Redman, and Luis Forsley. Um, you can head to their website, check out some of the parts that they offer. Those parts are really good because of the fact that they don't just do revalving. They actually build a lot of their own new pistons, um, their own different bushings, things like that. They've got all kind of new internals that they themselves machine um, to to give you the settings that they feel are going to give you as an off-road racer that much more of an advantage and help your suspension a lot better as you're out there riding. So if it sounds like something you need to check out, please go to stillwellperformance.com. Just send them an email, tell them you learn about them on the show, ask questions. If you feel like your suspension's not set up and you don't really feel like you want to spend a lot of money, email them, tell them you heard about them on the show, and just say, hey, I, I kind of want to talk to you about that. Is that okay? And they're going to be more than happy to help you out. And uh, we're more than happy to say thank you for their support because without that, we wouldn't be able to pay all the, the stinking hosting bills and get, and get Steven here. So we're definitely appreciative for that. Um, so as we've been asked quite a few times, man, we need to have more mechanics on. We need to have more mechanics on. Okay, let's try to find some mechanics. Well, my favorite mechanic is uh, Chuck, Mr. Charles Merchant. And uh, so that was my first guy that I wanted to have on as a mechanic on the show. So I have to ask, Charles, how's it going over there in uh, KTM land? Uh, everything's going pretty good. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. All right, right on. So you're in the shop? Yeah, yeah just here at the shop, just hanging out, and uh, figured I'd hang out for a little bit and help you out for a little bit and then uh, go home. Well, we appreciate you staying around a little bit longer than you needed to so you could steal some of the Wi-Fi. I don't know how KTM feels about that, but we're totally okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. No problems. You just tell Auntie I said I got this one, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'll have him send you an invoice. <laughs> well, I mean, let's not get crazy. I mean, I figure we can work something out. You know, we'll figure it out. Well, dude, yeah. so you're our mechanic on the show tonight, so... I figure at some point we're going to get into some kind of mechanic talk and stuff like that. But for those of you who don't know, Charles is Charlie Mc Charlie Mullins' mechanic. Um, Charlie Mullins obviously injured right now, but multi-time national enduro champion. Um, he's also a GNCC champion. He's kind of come up through the ranks even in the GNCCs. But, Charles, you haven't worked 
for Charlie, your entire career, you've kind of been all over the map, starting with MMI, moving in Texas for a little bit, our the, the, the state we both now call home, um, and, and Arizona, I mean, all over the place. So kind of talk us talk us through a little bit of that background of how you got to where you are today. Oh, uh, well, it all started one day back in the day. Um, uh, first of all, I was, I was born and raised in Wyoming, so I'm a native of the state of Wyoming, and uh you know, I had some friends growing up, and my brothers, they had dirt bikes, so kind of was a little around them, you know, working on bikes. And when I graduated high school, I just decided to kind of go to MMI down in Phoenix, and that was in uh, the fall of 2000. And so I moved down there and took uh, all the electives back then, lived in Phoenix from two fall of 2000 till uh, early 2004, and uh, I graduated in 2002 and stuck around in Phoenix just working at an independent shop out there, um, really just getting my hands dirty and getting as much experience as you can. I was fortunate enough to end up in a independent shop out there. Um, by the shop's name out there in Phoenix was Piper Performance, and um, Cliff had a ton of experience, learned a lot off of him, and I still learned from him, you know, when I talked to him, so... He's definitely been a pretty vital person in helping me gain knowledge and helping me get to where I'm at. And then uh, in 04, he moved his business from Phoenix out to uh, Texas, and I kind of went with him and worked with him for a bit, still uh, just kind of doing the whole thing, and met a few people, and they got me in touch with uh, the Miller family. Um, so I interviewed with Tony and Karen, and... They hired me and said, hey, let's try it out for a few weeks and see how this goes. Uh, you're going to meet our son, Clayton, and he's a crazy character, so be ready for that. And, you know, me and him hit it off pretty good and traveled around doing all the pro motocross nationals and the supercross races from summer 2005 through the end of 2007. And uh, we had a good time. Like, uh, you know, I think that was probably, I guess, what you'd call – part of my golden years like wrenching on bikes is just it was a blast like traveling every round and uh every round was different whether it was raining or nice and rainy or just it was different and it was great and i learned a lot learned off a lot off of him me and him fed off of each other and uh at the end of 07 i got an opportunity to go work with star yamaha and uh i moved out to california and uh Worked for them for 2008 and 2009 seasons. In 2008, I was Will Hahn's mechanic his rookie year. Mm. And then uh, going into 2009, I worked a little bit with uh, Darren Durham. And then uh, Michael Hall was my outdoor rider. So, uh, you know, 2009 was pretty much my last year on the national circuit, um, working, you know, the pro nationals, at least for the guys. And then uh, at the end of 2009, I moved back to Phoenix. One of my good friends that is the lead mechanic at AEO Power Sports in the uh, northwestern part of Phoenix there, uh, they hired me. So I went out there and spent a little bit of time with them, you know, working back in the shop and enjoying that life a little bit and uh, working really close with Jeremy and Josh every day and, you know, us all just uh, just doing the shop life for a little bit. You know, sometimes you get burned out doing racing, and sometimes you you want to go kind of have a regular life. 
So uh, that was a nice experience. And, uh, you know, those guys are still really good friends. I, I try to talk to them on a monthly basis just to see how things are going. And me and Josh, we've been really good friends. Me and him actually worked together with Cliff at Piper Performance for years, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm really in touch with uh, with Josh and Jeremy now. And so it's always been pretty good. And then uh, in the summer of 2010, I helped out Sherry Cruz a little bit uh, doing the Outdoor Nationals. I helped her out a little bit. And then in, uh, in 11, I helped out Vicky Golden do uh, the Outdoor Nationals and X Games. And um, when I came back out to California for that for that deal, I got back in touch with Andrew Langston, who was the off-road mechanic, or the off-road engine builder, excuse me. And um, he said they were interviewing. So I came in and interviewed with Auntie and did another interview with Auntie. And he was like, hey, I, I, I need you now. <laughs> so Time to start. I came on board. Yeah, I came on board in August of 2011 and, and uh, have been here since. So it's been pretty good, you know. That's kind of my uh, my background in a long nutshell, I guess. Yeah. Um, overall, what's it like being Charlie Mullins' mechanic? Uh, good, bads, awesomeses, maybe some negatives. You know, I mean, what's what's that like? Um, you know, really working with Charlie is, uh, I guess you'd say, a pint full of awesome. <laughs> Dig it. Uh, he, you know, I, I get along really well with him. Uh, when he shows up to race, he shows up to race. You know, um, he always, he's always been able to, hey, I'm going to go get a good night's sleep. When we wake up tomorrow, we're going to go at it and let, lay it all out there on the track and what happens, happens. And uh, that's really cool as a mechanic to know that, you know, he puts his best foot forward every day. Uh, whether it's on the bike or off the bike, and and I've you know I can say that thankfully about every rider that I've ever worked for, um, you know going all the way back to uh, you know Clayton, that dude he trained just as hard or harder than any of those other guys, and he was a privateer, and we busted our asses for three seasons and did what we could do, yeah. and you know same with Will and and Michael and, and Darren and those guys they all had a a trait about them that they busted their ass off the bike and off the bike and on the bike. And then when we got showed up on the gate, it was go time, you know, everything was laid out there on the track and that was cool. Yeah. So I've been pretty fortunate. I feel that I've worked with a great group of riders and, you know, been able to have that background and that experience with those different personalities to try to uh, work really well with them, whether it's off the bike or on the bike or, you know, doing setups and testing and, and, and you know just everything as a person. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Um, in the in the aspect of that, if you're the mechanic for somebody who maybe they're fast, they're good, but they don't train all that hard, and they don't they don't put in maybe the same hundred percent that you feel you do. So it's kind of like, well, why should I put in the effort if they're not going to, and they're the racer? Um, so that that would suck. But it's so it's great that you've got somebody out there that's willing to put in just as much, if not even more, effort. You know, to the same program that you're putting in all the effort, you know, into. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've I've had a bunch of uh, handful of teammates and coworkers that they felt that hey, their rider was slacking off, and it's like, man, why the hell are they doing this? Like, well, you know, I'm out here as a mechanic, and I'm busting my hiney 
24-7 for them, you know, making sure that their bike is as perfect as it can be and, you know, jumping through hoops, I guess you'd say, to make the rider happy. And, you know, those, those personalities, sometimes they clash, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's really frustrating to see one of your coworkers, your teammates, one of your buddies go through that with a rider and vice versa. Sometimes the riders don't, you know, there's a lot of personalities going on, so you got to make sure that everybody clashes pretty well together and meshes well, and and uh, everybody's off on the right foot. You know, otherwise it, it makes it hard to work with people sometimes. Yeah. So that ma- that mechanic and rider relationship is is really important always. And isn't part of it communication? You know, for example, the rider has to translate what he's experiencing into something you can take action with. You know, they just can't come in and say, "Oh, this is all screwed up." You know, they have to actually give you information that you can act on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there, there's – I've seen plenty of riders, and then I've seen, you know, other riders that the communication is – they just don't – they know what they're feeling. They don't know how to communicate it, mm-hmm. you know. And so sometimes as a technician, whether it be a suspension technician or an engine technician and or, you know, me, the tuner, the mechanic, the chassis guy, you're – you don't really know how to comprehend that, so you start kind of saying, okay, let's go down this road. Does it feel like it's doing this or, you know, vice versa? Let's go down this road. And uh, so definitely a lot of it comes into how well the, the rider is yeah. good at communicating about how his bike is feeling. Uh, you know, if he comes in, oh, you know, don't worry, it's just it's the tires. You know, well, okay, are you sure it's just the tires? Yeah, it's just the tires. Don't worry about it. I'll deal with it. I know how to make it work now that I know it's the tires or shock is doing this it's not you know rebounding correctly it's you know when i'm coming into this section or you know etc etc so a lot of that comes down to how much the rider actually has a lot of experience and how much the tuner has an experience as well you know some mechanics they got a lot of experience and they've seen that scenario happen they know exactly where to go to fix it and and to make the adjustments to make him happy and that that builds that trust relationship yeah, and part of that is you don't ride the bike, so they don't wrench the bike. It'd be important, it, I would say, that they don't tell you what to fix on the bike, is they tell you what they're experiencing on the ride, what it's doing in the air, what it's doing over the jumps, and then you translate that into wrenching, because you're better at it than they are, and they're better at riding than you are. You can't ride it for them, and they can't wrench it. Um but it sounds like some of these guys are actually trying to be the mechanic too. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, like coming into the off-road world, a lot of them are mechanically inclined, you know. So back say like in the jetting days with carburetors, you know, right now, you know, everybody's kind of moving into the fuel injection world. Back in back, you know, a couple of stepping back a few years, a lot of riders that did their own jetting specs on two strokes, you know, or, or even four strokes, even for that matter, they can come in and say, Hey dude, you know, we're, we're up too high on a main jet. We need to drop a couple main jets or, you know, we need to go in on the fuel screw or come out on the fuel screw or something. It's just feeling a little hesitant on bottom, you know, that type of deal. So off road riders, I feel are, are pretty, most of them are pretty mechanically inclined. You know, some of them aren't, but you even get in that in the motocross side. Um, you know, it, it, you definitely, I guess it's a give and take, you know, mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some some riders don't know what they're talking about. Right. Or some of them are trying to relay that information about, say, a hesitation on a carbureted bike, you know, 
and and trying to figure that out to fix it. You know, what are you going to do as it as a as a tuner as a mechanic? Of course, you hit on a a real important concept today with all the electronics. The only way a mechanic will get dirty is if he spilled something on his keyboard. You know, with the <laughs> with the EFI and with the with the power curves and whatnot. Uh, it's all at the keyboard now and not at the screwdrivers and wrenches. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, it's getting more and more electronically advanced and um, definitely keeping us a little bit cleaner, except for when it comes to tire changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tires and chains, yeah. Those bibs, yeah, yeah you can't, well, there's no good way to stay clean. Was that, was because that happened on your watch. You know, while you were on the job, that transition, kind of like from two strokes to four strokes, but also the transition from carbureted to EFI happened on your watch. Was that easy to transition to, or did that take some getting used to? Um, you know, I guess it's it's been fairly easy for me. Um, when I when I went to MMI, we 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 had handful of classes on fuel injection. You know, because oh, okay. when you go to that school, you're you're learning about street bikes. You know, they're they're primarily teaching you about how the street bike world is because everything technological technolo technology based happens to street bikes first and then it kind of trickles down mm -hmm. into dirt bikes eventually so fuel injection wasn't too big of a, a transition for me and then you know working at a couple of the independent shops i worked at you know specifically piper performance um he had his own dyno he was a full dyno jet center oh. uh so working with him over the years he taught me some fuel injected stuff and what you what you're typically going to do um going back into the motocross side you know is all that the jetting and the the four strokes and the carbs and stuff when i come over here to ktm you know they're already on the fuel injected side and we have our engine technicians that they come over they help us out we look at hey we're going to put this map in you know it's like you're saying it's a keyboard technician come in there hook up this is what map we're going to run so it's, it's actually been a little bit easier, you know, coming back into, say, moving along with fuel injection. Well, I look forward to getting – it may not be this year, uh, but I'm definitely going to get a 350 as my next bike, uh, and it'll be fuel injected. So I look forward to meeting up with you at all the races so you can uh, do some professional wrenching on it for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can do some, key some some keyboard tuning if you will. <laughs> Cuz I I won't know how to do any of that. That is for sure. I'll I'll be looking to learn. How about that? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Cool. You know, that's the thing that like I try to tell all the uh, I guess up and coming mechanics, you know, that they always talk they want to talk to you at the races and stuff is that you got to be willing to learn. You got to be have an open mind every day. Because if you don't try to learn something new every day, you're stopping yourself, you know, right. from progressing. And that, and this is an industry that it's always progressing. You know, we're in a technological-based industry in a sense with the fuel injection coming around and, and the bikes becoming more electronic. Um, it, everything's going to keep pro progressing, and, and we as mechanics got to stay on top of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Earlier in the day when we were talking about you coming on the show and the press release came out, I wanted to try to get in because of the fact that people have been asking for more mechanics. They kind of wanted to ask questions. I was like, well, hey, bring us some of your questions. What what do you as viewers, what do you want to know? Um, we've got a couple good ones. I wanted uh, So Frank Keegan uh, from KR4 Performance actually said, other than winning races or championships, what's the most rewarding part about the job? You know, um, 
I guess for me, it's uh, it's building a really cool ass dirt bike. <laughs> like it's it's you know I I just pretty much finished up my my six day bike and that's the one bike that I love building the most is is my six days bike. You know I really enjoy building my national enduro bike and my GNCC bike, but for some reason it's something else is there in my mind that tells me that building the six day bike is really cool just because. I have no idea. (laughs) You know, like maybe it's because I'm going to build it for Charlie and he's going to go put that bike through the ringer six days for, for the country, you know, going to, going to, going to the the ISDE and it's going to be representing something that means a lot, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another thing I I really like is the travel. Um, I love traveling. A lot of times you don't get to go see places like, you know, you don't get to go do that sightseeing when you're on travel and business work. And a lot of people that travel for business kind of probably understand that you're just kind of in and out. But sometimes you're you can hopefully get somewhere and you get a couple extra hours to kind of go see some of that local culture of wherever you're at. So I really like the you know, besides building the, a really awesome bike, just the, the traveling aspect and seeing different cultures and trying to experience everything and take it all in. Yeah, as you should. Um, Jamie Aikens had a question that's actually very relative to what you just said. Is How much different bike setup is there mm-hmm. between a GNCC bike, uh, maybe Charlie's you know, GNCC bike, and his uh, his national enduro bike? Um, his national, like the, the setup differences between the bikes um, initially are going to be the CCs. You know, national enduro, he rides a 350, and the GNCCs, he rides a 450. Um, a lot of people sometimes get that confused and, or they think he's always riding a 350 or always riding a 450, but but uh, he's he's sticking to 350 National Enduro and he does 450 for GNCCs. Um, so you got you know the engine differences right there. Um, going a little bit personal bike setup is that you know we run stiffer suspension settings for the GNCC compared to the mm-hmm. National Enduro mm-hmm. um, for him. His national enduro setting is like suspension wise is is uh, not a lot softer, but it's quite a bit softer than the GNCC bike. And then uh, also th- this year is kind of something different that he's been doing is that he on the uh, national enduro bike we actually run 999 handlebars, uh, the Renthal handlebars we run the 999s, and then on the GNCCs we run the 996s. So he's running two different handlebar styles there. And is and, that a uh, sweep and a what, what's the biggest difference in those two bars? Do you know offhand? The biggest difference between those two bars is just the height. Okay. Um, the nine nine sixes are pretty sure they're ten millimeters taller. Um, the sweep on them is the same. the The, the bars are identical except for the height difference. Huh. Okay. And uh, for his reasoning that he feels like that is that the uh, the national enduro bike. Running the lower handlebars, it allows him to get over the front end a little bit more because he does sit more, do right racing national enduros. He he sits a lot more, um, whereas GNCCs he's standing a lot more. The bikes, the track, the tracks and the courses are quite a bit rougher, so he's standing a lot a lot more, and he's also charging a lot more uh, with GNCC setup. Huh, that's interesting. That's actually pretty cool. That it's those little things though. You wouldn't think that like between one bike and the other. Besides just the CCs, that it would be that big of a difference, but obviously it makes a big difference because he's a national champion for a reason. So, uh, okay, yeah, a lot of people, I tell a lot of people that, and they get kind of freaked out. They're like, "Dude, I don't think I could ever switch 
doing handlebars. You yeah. know, I go, you know, really we look at it and at least the way I look at it is that you're, you're setting, you're, you're, you're still racing in the woods, but you're racing two different disciplines. You know, um, national enduros is super tight. Uh, it's, it's six short tests and, you know, he, he changes his riding style. You know, he's sitting a lot more on the bike, whereas GNCCs, it's a three hour motocross race in the woods and the tracks are wider and he stands a lot more and has to charge a lot more. So, yeah. you know, you set the bike up for the discipline, I think, and, and he's learned to do that pretty well. It's cool to hear you hear, hear how you guys think about the differences uh, in the events because I've kind of been like, yeah, GNCCs are this and National Durs are this, but it's kind of cool to hear y'all's descriptions of that and then how you would set the bikes up different. Obviously, this would be for Charlie, but I'd imagine that every rider, once they really break it down, would have those little bit of differences that you're mentioning uh, for Charlie. Um, Brian Williams wanted to know, what is the one thing that is unique to Charlie's bike that most other riders wouldn't run or do? Um, well, you know, besides him racing the two series and having those handlebar setups a little bit differently, uh, we do run an extra, you know, and a lot of riders do, but Charlie runs it all the time as an extra, uh, rear brake pedal spring that, that works off of the actual plunger. And, um, and that's just because he's, he's pretty uh, abusive on the rear brakes. Huh. Whether it's uh, GNCCs or National Enduros, um, you know, and and other riders are probably abusive on the brakes, but they're not nearly as abusive as he is. That's that's the one thing I can say. <laughs> so you're afraid of him cooking the oil, so to speak, and overheating? Oh, what was that? You're 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 doing the extra spring so he doesn't overheat the brakes. Uh yeah, it's just to kind of help, you know, get get that return back is a little bit faster, you know, just to kind of hopefully keep him, keep the rear brake pedal up as much as he drags it and get it a little bit, you know, cooler, I guess we would say a little faster. So you have two springs there instead of just that one. And, you know, hopefully it'll kind of help keep him off of it. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't have too many issues with that. I think it's just because I don't go fast enough that I need to slam on the brakes as much as they do. Maybe I'm really surprised (laughs) you didn't cook the oil in, Nevada, when you were running in the desert last weekend. Like, as, but that's as, another issue. Yeah, as, as we say, I probably wasn't going fast enough to need that much brakes. <laughs> it happens, it happens. Uh, so Rob Brown wanted to know, some riders are easy to set the bike up for, and some are very picky in particular. Does that get annoying when a rider wants everything just right, or do they bitch about every little tweak on the bike, and he goes, I do, but then I just yell at myself? <laughs> yeah. um you know honestly like i think maybe for some mechanics they might get pretty uh tweaked off about that um i look at it as a challenge and i th- and i think that kind of goes for a lot of mechanics like you know he's going to come in and he's going to complain about this well i got something to throw at him that hopefully is going to cure the issue that he's feeling whatever it may be you know and you'll see that a lot with uh suspension technicians you know, rookie, he's the same way. Our suspension guy, you know, you come in there and you, you you got an issue for him that the suspension isn't doing. He's he's got his mind going in his little ticker, and he's like, "All right, I got a setting that we're going to put in there, and it's going to solve that." And you know, we're going to go from there. Then, um, so that's kind of how I look at it. Is is uh, you know, every hopefully, you know, it, even if he comes in a hundred times a day, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make him happy because that's what we're there to do, and. Uh, it doesn't really get too nitpicky, I don't really think, because I, I kind of look at it as it's a 
it's a joy for me because that's part of my job. Right. You know, I got to do whatever I got to do to make him happy. It's it's different. Like I guess you'd say like if it's a mom or a dad and his son, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mini dad and his son he's like hey you know that's the only bars you're getting you're running them well yeah. i don't like them well, you're running them so you know yeah, I, I guess I, I try to enjoy every moment of it so well that's i think that's the right approach <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I look at it you know i tell people all the time you know like our job is is pretty strenuous it's a lot of stress uh the travel schedule is pretty hectic sometimes but you know what at the end of the day it's I, I've shoveled rock before for jobs, and you know I've I've loaded dynamite shots in mountains, and you know that's backbreaking work, you know hauling all that crap all over. And I, I really try to just enjoy my my job and enjoy what I do, you know, because not everybody is fortunate enough to do what I do. Right. So, well, it's kind of know, follow up like on that. As kind of follow up on what you were saying about your practice, a lot of times you see. Uh, you know, amateur mechanics like us will get bold and aggressive and will make multiple changes at one time. Do you guys try to avoid doing that so you make just one change at a time so you can see what the effect is of that change before you go and make another change? Or do you get bold and aggressive sometimes and make spring and dampening changes at the same time? For um, example. Me, me personally, I try, to, I try to do what you're describing there. The first point is... Uh, you're going to make one change. You know, we, we, we make a note of where we're at. We're going to make one change. Um, I want him to go out and check it, see if it's an improvement, better or worse, and then let's move from there. And then, uh, you know, kind of keep going in that progression. You don't want to get too too much, uh, I guess you'd say, too many eggs in the basket before right. you, you lose your mind. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes at the same time, you know, it's, it's kind of a – a gray area because sometimes you don't want to be out there for six, seven, ten hours a day trying to make small improvements. Sometimes you have to make that big change to, to really make him feel a difference or, you know, make it just – you try to knock it out the park, you know what I mean, with, with a setting or whatever you're trying to get with. Right. Very cool. Uh, I wanted to wrap it up with this one because I wanted you to explain it for everybody. Um on on if and or when you guys don't use bibs, uh, but they were asking about are the factory guys running uh, bib mooses, uh, tubes, or something like a tubeless or tire balls? Uh, are you asking if we do? Yes. Oh, like, sorry for for you guys like factory like the factory riders. Oh yeah, um, yes we we always run bibs no matter what um, unless. Uh, the only time I've ever given Charlie tubes is is uh, for his practice bike. But even then, you know that's that's if say I can't get him a moose. Say they're they're on order and they're coming in or something like that. Otherwise, even on his practice bike, I want him to run a moose all time, unless he's going to go race a motocross race and he's running a 19 on the rear on the rear tire. Um, otherwise, mainly I mainly reason I push for that for him to run a moose all the time is just because. It keeps the bike the same. It's going to make the, the suspension the same, uh, react the same. So hopefully when he gets on his race bike, it's not such a huge vital difference um, the way that the mooses work compared to tubes or tire balls. You know, I try to keep everything exactly the same as we can. Right. Um, 
if some of us wanted to get a little uh, advantageous and maybe try to take advantage of some of the used bibs that you guys have, how could we possibly get a hold of those? Because I would imagine you guys get rid of them before we would get rid of them. Um, it depends. Like, cause uh, I don't know if you saw my bib after uh, Loretta Lens this year. Yeah, that one was toast. Yeah, that was a new bib going into that race. Sounds like we might even have a, a marketing opportunity here. Race with Charlie Mullins' bib. You know, you too can have Charlie, the same bib Charlie Mullins. Oh, used. man. <laughs> I'm kidding. but <laughs> Yeah, and you will not mar- finish your race because it will disintegrate. Mar- marketing people think like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much like every time that I, uh, I dispose of a bib, you wouldn't want to put it in your bike. Like, hey, you destroyed um Nice For try. some reason, at uh, oh, what was that? Oh, he was just saying, "Nice try," because I was, you know, trying to see if we <laughs> nice could, try, uh, Brian. Work some, work some magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like um, at uh, Indiana this year, he won, and he that was a, a bib that had second race on it at Indiana, and he absolutely destroyed the rear one. I don't know what he did, just you know, whatever he hit out there destroyed it cut it up in so many pieces it sliced it on the sidewalls it, it just abused it and then so i put a new one in for loretta's and i'm sure you saw the pictures of what happened at loretta's that yes. thing looked like somebody put put a shotgun to it and pulled the trigger <laughs> yep. and then so that one <laughs> so that one got tossed and then uh you know going into um what was the next round it was uh masontown i think um yeah that one Coming out of Masontown, that thing looked just as bad. So we went through three races there on three bibs. <laughs> wow, it was pretty. But you know, like I say, like I run them until they're they're beat or you know they're super soft and and usually we can usually I'll say this I can make it half a season on a front bib as long as everything goes all right. But even this year. He's destroyed the front bibs a couple of times. Just uh, at Loretta's, he he cut the bib multiple spots. He actually cut the front s- sidewall um, and uh, destroyed it pretty good. <laughs> Man, so which it really doesn't happen. Yeah, it must be cool to be a badass. <laughs> to, to charge that hard yeah <laughs> well cool man well uh so what what's kind of what's coming up for you guys i know that uh, september we're going to be looking for uh, gntc picking up um but besides that what's kind of coming up for y'all uh, um you know the, the truck is leaving tomorrow to go to the cross fork pennsylvania enduro um this weekend that's in pennsylvania yep so uh, you'll see uh, mike lafferty and the baylor boys out there and then, uh, you know, after that, I think it's just the, I think we have, um, we have Taylor Robert going up to race the OMA in Sturgis this weekend. So good luck to him. Very cool. And then, yeah, he's going to go up there and hopefully take a win out and take some of that cash money. Whoop, whoop. And then, uh, I think in August is the, the next race, uh, it's at least the na- next national enduro that I know at the end of August, which is, uh, out there in Grand Junction, Colorado. So uh, that ought to be pretty good. You know, I'm excited to see, like, what goes on there and how uh, how the the reception is to that place. You know, everybody's kind of up in the air. They don't really know what to expect. You know, from what I've heard, it's going to be really good black dirt, though. Um, yeah, and hopefully, like Ian said, like, they get some rain. So, you know, it'll be good. Yeah, I know. Uh, if you heard what Ian said, then you probably heard what I said. So I would love to be there with you guys, but 
Doesn't look like it's gonna happen. We'll be. I'll be on. A, I'll be in a bounce house or a water slide that's blowing up in my backyard. Just remember, someday that young kid's gonna say, "Get over, Dad." Yep, it's gonna happen. I think it's gonna happen next. Week. Oh, yeah, that's all right. That was the best day of my yeah, life so, when, uh, when my son said, "Get over, Dad." Uh, my wife sent me a video the other day. Uh, I think it was it was yesterday. She sent me a video yesterday, and Liam snuck into the garage. And was sitting on the four wheeler because that's the only thing he can get on right now, and was just making brat noises. He was just and like playing with the throttle. So I was like, oh my gosh! Like part of me is like, hell yeah, and the other part's like, Jesus! If he'd have tried to get on that dirt bike, he could have killed himself because it would have fallen over on him. (laughs) It's like, ah. Yeah. So I don't know, man. He's he's a. Yeah, he's so far. He's not. He's two next month, and he's already pushing his little Strider bike around, sitting on it. Uh, so he he's turned into quite a little badass at a much earlier age than I did. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of like our, I guess our next uh, month or so. Hopefully, uh, you know, right now I think Charlie's getting the pins out of his wrist in uh, early August, and then he'll be doing some uh, mobility rehab and. You know, hopefully everything goes good there. Everything, you know, projected wise is gonna looking like he's gonna be healthy again, and we'll look to get him on a bike. I think probably mid September, and just kind of play from there. You know, yeah. and should be good. I think yeah, I think he's gonna come back, and you know, it's gonna take him a little while to get up to speed, but you know, we got a little while there before six days, so I think we'll uh, he'll be able to go out and make a good run this year and be competitive and you know meet his goals. So. How do you think uh, Taylor Roberts going to do the TKO this year? You know, I, I can't remember how well he did la- the last year. I thought he did okay. He did but, really um, good. He did. Yeah, he was on the podium last year, um, and then he okay. tried to run that same suspension at Big Sky, but on his 450. That's right. <laughs> I remember that now. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to do good. Uh, he's been to me. It seems like his extreme riding has improved tenfold you know from this time last year to to what he's doing this year so i think he'll probably be a really good favorite to go into that race and so hopefully he does really good yeah oh uh, you know i'll be out there yeah okay hmm. good yeah i can lock up so i'm not going to lock alone so. okay no worries <laughs> thanks carlos <laughs> is that ryan dungy's mechanic carlos yeah it was <laughs> We got motocross guys on the off-road show now, guys. What's up? <laughs> getting so yeah, big. Yeah. He just wanted to have some limelight on the show, really. He was just like, oh, he's on seat time? I got to go get my face in there. <laughs> yeah. Not really, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to sleep happy just pretending that's what happened tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carlos was a good dude. Like, uh, you know, ironically um, – it's kind of kind of a cool deal because he was probably like one of the first uh, mechanics that I actually really ever met, and that was back when I was working with Clayton and Carlos was uh, Davy Millsaps's mechanic at Factory Honda, and uh, I think it was uh, I want to thank Supercross season 2006. We actually went and spent you know a few weeks there at Davy's place and and rode with him and his training buddies and. And so I got to spend a little bit of time with Carlos, and, you know, he's always been nothing but a stand-up dude to me, and he's a dude that I really respect. So it's always, it's kind of cool, like, working at the same company as him now, you know? Yeah. So you never really think that you'd kind of 
ever kind of come full circle to work at the same place as a guy like that. You know, back in 2006, he's a factory mechanic at Honda, and, you know, I'm just kind of like a privateer mechanic just trying to make, you know, make it in the world. And, you know, here we are now. We're kind of at the same place, and, and he's always more than always helpful with everything. So it's kind of cool. Nice. I was gonna. I, I've, been, I've been. This question's been, been floating around my head for a little bit, and I've kind of gone back and forth on whether to ask it or not. And I figure, you know, that I'm not asking this for any other reason than just kind of for information on the industry. That on the Pulp Mech Show, somebody asked a question to Mathis because he was at one time a mechanic uh, for different teams, um, and they were like, "How much does a mechanic make?" And he said, "Probably somewhere between forty-five and fifty thousand dollars. Like that's you know their salary." Um, and, and I was wondering, I was like, as and now we don't need to get into specifics on your numbers, but if you could give us a ballpark on what, you know, mechanics are making these days for, you know, in the off-road world, I think that there are people out there that would be interested to know that. Um, you know, you know, like, uh, I guess I really kind of look at it as we're probably really the only team out there in the off-road world that has paid mechanics, um. I can't really vouch for the other teams. Like, you know, I'm looking at, like, say, JCR, you know, Chris Box program or, you know, Ampro's program. I really don't know if those mechanics make anything or if they're just kind of weekend guys that help out, you know, Paul Wibley and those guys. And, or, you know, Josh Strain doesn't really appear to have a, a full-time mechanic. You know, I think Eddie Ray helps him out, though, from Ampro. So I don't really know how their, their uh, structured, you know, payments go for them or if they work off of bonuses or whatnot. But I would say that you're you're in a good ballpark for where us off-road guys here at Factory KTM make. Um, and, and like I say, I think I honestly think that we're probably the only ones that are actually making a, a salaried employment hmm. in the off-road world. You know, and I could be wrong, but um, I kind of uh, that's what I think at least. You know, by looking at what teams are out there. Besides, well, I guess you know you got Factory Husqvarna with uh, with Joey, Joey and, yeah. and uh, Scott. But you know, other than you know, there's only what you know, two teams, three teams, maybe that mechanics are actually making a, a salary off of that team to to make that substantial living. Whereas the other guys, I think they're probably doing a couple other different gigs, you know, to supplement their incomes. Right. Well, I think it's good to know. It seems I'm, I'm going. Good. You know, like. Uh, my mom still every once in a while she'll ask about you because of Big Sky. <laughs> She's like, does that guy still like, wake up hungover every day? <laughs> like she, you know, it was pretty funny. She like, cause I think I want to think it was Sunday morning when we had breakfast and you rolled down there and got breakfast, and you looked like you had went through a tornado and hurricane all in one. <laughs> and uh, and then I went and raced, you know, right? I'm kind. Of, I'm kind of waiting for for Stu Baylor to show up for Big Stu, and uh, after you left, my mom goes, "Man, he does not look happy at all." <laughs> she goes, I don't know if he knows where he's at, and I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I don't know. I guess we'll find out a little later on." And so every once in a while, she'll be like, "How's that reporter guy doing? Is he doing all right?" And, you know, is he still surviving? I'm like, yeah, he's still surviving. He's doing good. So she doesn't know your name, but she knows exactly who you are, though. <laughs> uh, if nothing else, I'll leave an impression somewhere. It may not be the greatest impression, but it's an impression. 
Oh, she, she thought you're a cool dude, so like she she really liked it, and she thought you're a really nice guy. So awesome. Well, that's you made great. a good impression, but she she was more concerned if you were going to survive the next 24 hours. I think. <laughs> yeah, she's not the only one, that's for sure. Yeah, those 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 uh those days of far and few between this year for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, Stuart and I, I don't know what the deal is. Obviously, we're talking about Big Stew here. Even at Big Buck, like you know, luckily we got there a day early, so we did the the KR4 arrive and ride program. And uh, with that, where they had their big dinner and everything that Stu cooked for us, it was just great. And then it turned into social hour, and uh, Big Stu was there, uh, Stephen and everything. The moonshine came out, and all of a sudden it was just like, just downhill. It it uh, it all went downhill gracefully. Uh, I would say gracefully. Yeah. It was when the chainsaw that came out later in the uh, evening. I was just like, I'm going to bed. It got weird, man. It got weird. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was interesting. But, hey, moonshine, apparently that happens. In Montana? You know, I, this is, I, no, this is the moonshine in South Carolina. Around, these, Go ahead. Yeah. Every time I turn around, all these guys, they got moonshine around me, and I always want to try it, and I never do. And one of these days I need to break down and get some going, I guess. Yeah. Just um, to, you know, like, Weekend and just. I would I would say it's not the worst. I would don't I would not plan to drink it for like your evening. Like treat it like if you're if you're a person that's into doing shots every now and again or maybe like once in a blue moon that's okay. You know treat it like that. Like go you know take a big nice sip and let it burn the crap out of your throat and you're like woo moonshine and then go back to drinking something a shitload better because. It doesn't taste good. It burns the shit out of your throat, and it gives you one hell of a hangover. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, one of those give and takes. What kind of experience do you want? <laughs> yeah, I would say give it a try just because I'm into, you know, everything once. You know, everything in moderation kind of a deal. But, try it on an off weekend. Yeah, off weekend for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Unless definitely. You're going to wake up definitely. like Stephen or I did, like, <laughs> all, all kinds of weird <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, we really appreciate you taking a little bit of extra time to stay off at work and hang out with us here. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to have you on the show. Hopefully, we'll get some good feedback from what people thought. Maybe we'll get some good questions, and uh, we'll be able to, to get some advice from you on maybe other mechanics that we should have on. So that'll be fun. Yeah, man, no problem. Like, uh, it's a, it's always a joy to talk to you. And I told you, you know, one of these days we'd hook up and get on the show and just kind of chit-chat a little bit and... I'm always uh, I'm always available, you know. I can always make things happen for you. And I like it. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, and uh, tell your mom I said hi then. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> and I've made it. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, Big Sky was such a cool race. Like, uh, I, I really wish that there was more of those kind of races. You I know. know? It, like, uh, it's you so know. disappointing. I completely understand. Those dudes are in, you know, a very good part of their life with their family life and everything and their and the, their real jobs and it just was like they just had to make a decision like it's either keep doing the motorcycle race and know that family time is going to be bad and that we're not going to be able to continue to move up in our in our jobs uh, or let all that happen for a couple of years and if the and if people are still interested then they'll bring it back um yeah. so hopefully that goes to plan and four or five years from now we'll be back uh Sunday morning in uh, getting breakfast, and your mother can uh, judge judge the uh, how things turned out. I guess. 
Yeah. Like, you know, and it, it, you know, that kind of a race, I think, is something that, you know, the off-road uh, community in America really needs is that we need a, an amateur championship for off-road racing, you know, kind of like that Loretta Lens on the motocross side. We're trying to get more riders into off-road. We kind of need something there to, to get them to go and chase for, you know, a national championship for, you know, whatever that class is in the off-road. Yeah, yeah I mean, I understand you kind of got GNCC, you know, and they do a really good job with that. But at the same time, a lot of those people in the western part of the states, they it's really hard for them to say get back east and battle, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of yeah. like that there's that, that kind of off-road championship style race and, you know, amateur-wise and, and even for the pros, you know, still like, you know, you kind of want something like that to kind of keep growing, to kind of get more off-road riders involved and, you know, get some of those MX guys to transition into off-road and make it more interesting and more competitive, you know. Yeah. So hopefully something yeah. like that can come back alive and, you know, make a presence. Absolutely. One of the the one thing about Big Sky that totally blew me away was how phenomenal that trail was, their trail system was, the race that they had laid out. I, I can say confidently that anybody from around the United States could come out there and ride that place for the first time and never have ridden a trail like that. There's just aspects out there that you're not going to get. And even if elevation is the one aspect that you've never ridden at, but you've kind of got the mountain aspect of it, it's going to all be so different. And that, to me, is why I thought that worked so great, even though it was a travel for a lot of people, for that national championship. Because if it was out east somewhere, there's a lot of east eastern terrain that feels the same. There's a lot of western deserty terrain that feels the same. Um, you know, it's like places like that Montana and Colorado. Those are the unique places that guys out west and even guys out east, they don't ever get that. And so if they could find a way yeah. to continue to, to keep it in those super unique locations, those are the, the ones yeah. that are going to make it epic. And people are going to want to continue to go to it even though it's a 12 or a 24-hour drive because it's like, but we don't get to ride this but once a year. Let's go. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the way they do it. Well, cool, man. We're running a little bit longer than we want to. Not that it's not your fault. We just we like to get social here and we talk a little bit. It's what happens. But we really appreciate hey, you no coming way. on the show, man, and we will definitely do it again. So thank you very much. Thanks for the info on wrenching. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Later, well, dude. Guys, uh, hey, don't forget. Uh, tell Carlos we'll make him famous. <laughs> All right. Sounds not, good. not if Ryan Dungey hasn't done it for him, we will. All right, yeah. You know, it, 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 every little bit helps. Absolutely, especially seat time. All right, man, take it easy. All right, you guys have a good night. <laughs> Bye. All right, so as we kind of close up here with the show, we've had a chance to talk a little bit about some of the Baja Rally type stuff that we've tested, or the rally um, stuff that we've been testing. Uh, we've got a chance to talk with Ian Blythe, kind of what he's been up to, what's been going on with him. Obviously, just uh, talking with Charles, uh, being a mechanic for a uh, very, very professional off-road racer. What have you? What are your opinions of uh, sitting in on the show? Well, what you've what you've gone through is you've gone through an evolution. You know, we've watched from motocross from the '60s, early '70s, evolve into woods riding, evolve into hair scrambles. Evolve, it's just an evolving situation where there are new opportunities, there are new places to ride, there are places we're losing to ride, unfortunately. But as we find new places like Montana and Colorado and even out in the desert of Nevada. <laughs> Middle of nowhere. <laughs> there's there's no reason to sit on the couch and watch football. 
Get out and ride. Yeah. Find something, even if it's to go cow trailing, which is what they used to call trail riding. Um, just get out and ride. There's no excuse to, to not. There's just many, many, many opportunities. And you've just touched on some of them tonight. Yeah. Um, and about the rally stuff, I do think that anybody that rides a dirt bike should look into it. It's super cool. It's been a very, very neat thing to learn um and i'm very much looking forward to continue to get better at it and then competing in the rally of course there is the buy-in um there's there's no easy way to say that there's just there's cost to buy-in um of course when we get done we're going to have a lot of this equipment so if somebody's looking to do it there's always the opportunity that we could figure out a way to, to help somebody out i mean we're not going to be we're not going to give it away but at the same time we're probably going to want to keep a lot of it but you never know um, so it's stuff like that. So just reach out, ask questions, because we'll be able to give you all the advice and all the information that we have. And every year there's there's more rallies. Every yeah, year. They're picking up. So more it, parts it of the could country. Be, it could be something that gets a little bit bigger, and so hopefully then the prices get a little bit lower, more people looking for it. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we really, really appreciate uh uh, Dave from Rally Management Services being uh, so so helpful, and his buddy Phil. I don't know if Phil is associated with Rally Management Services or if he's just a friend of Dave's, but it was a big help. Got to go ride with me on Sunday, um, so we really appreciate that. Of Keep course, your dust in sight. Yeah, exactly. No, he did a good job. It was fun. Um, we did do some filming while we were out there, so that's going to be part of the video that's coming up. I've got some helmet cam footage that I did in one of the washes out there, too, where I almost ate it two times in a very spectacular fashion so look for those in the next coming weeks i'm going to put those out just kind of on their own thing they're fun but you're not eligible for the fly racing brian, no. brian, yeah, but it's a pipe full of awesome but i've i'm not eligible to win the pipe full of awesome award it's unfortunate but it's just what it is hopefully i get a care package in the mail from dale we'll see i don't know um so of course this has been seat time episode 135 um, we really, really appreciate uh, everybody that's been paying attention. Remember, you can find us um, on the website, seatime.co, um, if you want to archive all, if you want to watch any of the archive shows. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash seatime. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash seatime underscore co, or even on Instagram. So just regular old seat time. Got really simple for everybody out there. And of course, please, uh, if, you, if you just listen to the audio podcast, go subscribe to us either on iTunes if you're on an iDevice or Stitcher or if you're just on some other kind of smartphone. Um, I'm not biased. I want you to enjoy whatever you want to enjoy, but then make seat time part of that that enjoyment. I think it's uh, the way to do it. Uh, big thanks to Fly Racing and Stillwell Performance for being a part. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about KR4 and their Arrive and Ride program and the guys over at Fast Company, but don't worry. They're the ones that we're going to hit up uh, next week when we talk about all the people that support seat time and all the fun stuff out there. Um, but yeah, it's been an awesome episode. We really appreciate everybody for tuning in. Dad, thanks for coming You're on. You're welcome. Papa Pierce here. Uh, Kiwi would be proud, I have to say. I think he would. All right, remember, always enjoy a pint full of awesome. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for tuning in. And get some seat time. Peace. <laughs>